Father, thank you again so much for your goodness and your mercy and your love. Thank you, Lord, for your word, that it's truth, that it's life. It brings light and uh, understanding to us. And Father, we seek after you tonight. We seek after your kingdom. And we ask you, Father, to, to open the eyes of our understanding and help us to see you and your purpose for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So we left off last week talking about, obviously, the kings. And what was the, uh, what was the overwhelming uh, pattern that we were seeing with the kings? When kings ruled a long time, the bad ones just a short time. They didn't last very long. And 1 Kings 16 is just a continuation of that. And we're really not going to spend any time on that unless somebody saw something that jumped out at them. I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, because, you know, you, you see uh, Basha, same thing. He was, he was evil and he died early. Elah, uh, Basha's son, um, was also evil, only lasted uh, just a couple of years. Um, and they were they, they died horrible deaths. It wasn't just that they died. They, they died early. They died uh, violent. Uh, people, you know, basically offed them and, and so on. And then they killed their whole family. You know, uh, Elah's son, his whole family, the whole family of Basha was taken out. Uh, Zimri was made king and uh, started head, you know, going against um, was, was also uh, evil and they laid siege to his city when he saw that he was surrounded he went into the uh, palace and set the palace on fire around himself and he died in the fire um, verses 17, 18, and 19, right around in there. He only reigned a week. Yeah, <laughs> he only made it a week. And so, I mean, just, you know, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And when they were evil, when they didn't follow the ways of the Lord, when they didn't obey Him, when they didn't honor Him, they, they did not last. And it was, it was a type and shadow of, to Israel and to us, it was a it's, it's a sign to us that you know if if we don't do the thing don't don't do things the way God wants us to do them, if we're evil in His sight, then um, we're not going to make it. We're not going to line. Uh, we're not going to last very long in that. A um, couple of other things that I want to point out, just because they are. Um, Highlights um, not just with the the story of the kings is in verse twenty four of First uh, Kings sixteen, and we see that Asa, king of Judah, um, uh, or in the first year or thirty first year of Asa, king of Judah, Omri became king of Israel, and he reigned twelve years. He bought the hill of Samaria from Shemer for two talents. Uh, of silver and built a city on the hill, calling it Samaria. I just I, I just point that out to let you know you know to you know when we hear about Samaria quite a bit in Jesus's time, this is where it, where it, this is where it began. This was who started. It's just noteworthy to um, to notice that that's where that began. And then in verse twenty five, Amri did evil in the eyes of the Lord and sinned more than all those before him. The, there's a number of those that did that. They, they just they sinned more than everybody before them. So um, it's like, how could you get much worse? And then they did. But you know, look at today. You know, the the world keeps getting worse and worse. And and I've I've, I've said that to somebody recently. You know, they were talking about another pastor I was talking to said, you know, that things that he's been seeing in his church and things that people have been going through and. He, he says, it seems like it's getting worse and worse. And I said, you know what? I used to say I've seen or heard it all. And and then every once in a while I get surprised. <laughs> you know, and I, I hear about something far worse than I'd ever heard of before. It's like, my goodness. You know, I mean, it just, it, the world definitely seems to be waxing worse and worse. And so it, it is possible. 
for that to happen. So um, he didn't last very long. And then um, verse 34 was the other thing that I just wanted to point out in verse or in chapter 16. 17, 18 actually starts getting into some, you know, of the real meat of, of the uh, 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 stories that we, we read about all the time. So that's really good. But so 16, I just wanted to touch a few things. Verse 34 of uh, chapter 16 says, In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. Now remember, when we studied in uh, Exodus, uh, not Exodus, uh, Joshua, Joshua, when they went in and took... No, it was it was Exodus, wasn't it? Or was it Jed? Joshua. It was Joshua. When uh, uh, they crossed over and they, they uh, marched around Jericho and the walls came down and everything that God did during that time, Joshua prophesied over Jericho and said, whoever rebuilds Jericho will do so at the expense of his firstborn son. Mm-hmm. And at, Joshua 6.26. Why don't you go ahead and read that? Just, just go ahead and read that. Then Joshua charged them, that's the people after they had destroyed Jericho, Joshua charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who rises up and builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn, and with his youngest he shall set its gates. And that's exactly what happened. Verse 34 is the fulfillment of that prophecy. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abram. You know, and so it's one thing to hear the the prophecy hundreds of years before, but now there's a name associated with it. It was a, it was an actual person who lost his life during that time, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son Zegub, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, uh, son of Nun. So just I wanted to point that out, just because it is a fulfillment of that word. I mean, and. The thing that spoke to me about that was that you know it it costs you not to know what the word of the Lord says. You know it is it costs you not to know what God's word says. If he you know if the if God's word says this is good, do it, and you don't, well, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance will cost you. And the same as if it says don't do this, and you do, well. You know, we we can claim ignorance, but it doesn't help. I mean, the, there are there is cost for sin, and, and that was in that time. That was a fulfillment of that word. Anything about chapter sixteen that you want? Anybody wants to highlight or mention, re-mention? That was. So then we get to start getting. Uh, Chapter six, seventeen, we get into Elijah, and he's really he's really interesting. Lots of life lessons, lots of of uh, amazing things happen in his life, and then start from from there on out in the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, uh, and so on and so forth. So now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in uh, Gilead said to Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will neither there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I, that, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Amazing story. I mean, that is just a, a over-the-top uh, description of the provision of God. That God will go to great lengths to provide for us. And... Um, even to the point where the ravens, I mean, using something, you know, uh, I, I, uh, Robin Roberts used to say that uh, he, they were bringing him roadkill. Um, <laughs> you know, where, where did they get it, you know? Um, but you never know. They could have got it from the, from the, the plate of uh, Ahab. You know, they could have taken it from the, you know, who knows where, where it came from or, if it, you know, whatever the, the situation was. 
But but God literally supplied miraculously his needs. And the Bible says that, that God is no respecter of persons. You know, if he will do it for one person, he'll do it for another. Now, he may not do it exactly the same way. It may be completely different circumstances. It, it probably will be completely different circumstances. But the, but the lesson that will be learned is God will supply our needs. He will meet our needs. And, and if, we, if we trust him, if we put him first, then we can, can bank on the fact that he'll take care of us. And as he does that, it'll usually be a miracle. Um, a couple of years ago, we handed out the book, uh, um, it was the autobiography of... George Mueller. And George Mueller was a, uh, a minister, but he felt like God was leading him to start an orphanage for children. But he had nothing. And God had dealt with him early on because he had seen the excesses in the church. Um, God had dealt with him uh, directly to not ask anybody for anything. To not ask for money, to not ask for supplies, so on and so forth. He would he would tell people, "Here's what I'm doing," because God would lead. You know, he would he would share a vision, but he wouldn't say, "Will you please give me this? I need this," so on and so forth. Even to the point, if people asked him, "How you know what? what how much do you need?" He wouldn't tell them. Um, he was he was very integrous when it came to that sort of thing, and and. Miraculously, God supplied his needs. People, and they, they figure in uh, at the by the end of his ministry, by the end of his life, that equivalently, you know, the the money back then that was given to him was in the millions of dollars, multiple millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, equivalent today. And he never asked for any of it. God would move on people's hearts. He would supply their needs. Um, there, you know, story after story where they would be uh, out of food, out of everything, and they would be sitting down for breakfast, and they had all of the orphans in the in the house, and they would they would be uh, getting ready to to eat, but there's no food, and they wouldn't tell the orphans there wasn't any food, <laughs> but there wasn't any food, there wasn't anything, and uh, they would literally sit down, they would pray, bless the meal which there was nothing of. And there'd be a knock on the door, and one day the the an ox cart full of uh, milk products had had broke down right outside the door, and the guy says, "Well, it's going to spoil if I don't give it to you because I can't get it fixed in time." Here, take all this milk, and supplied them with all of the milk. And the same thing with, you know, many other things. There was there was just miraculous provision for um, for what they needed. So God God did it for Elijah. He'll do it, or he did it for George Mueller and others. There's been so many people that that uh, have given testimony of, of God supplying their needs um, over the top. You know, he, here, yeah, we can joke it was roadkill, but who knows? It might have been freshly grilled steaks off of the off of the altar somewhere, or off. You know, who who knows where God had him bring it from? But it was bread and meat every morning. And bread and meat every evening, and it went on for a long period of time. It wasn't, it, you know, it's probably about two years. I mean, that's a lot of provision um, to be brought in by by a, by a couple of birds. And so, you know, God does those things today. I mean, I, we, you know, we have seen miraculous provision. Um, you know, we were in college. And, uh, and we had nothing. I mean, you know, you're you're basically living week to week. Um, you know, can't work as much as you'd want to. weren't making very much, and we got to a place where we had no food in the house. I mean, no food in the house at all. We never told anybody. We didn't feel like we were supposed to tell somebody. You know, we're really in need here. And you know, for whatever reason, I, I don't know if if it was somebody who just recognized our situation or or God spoke to him. I don't know because we never asked. We would go to church on some Sunday mornings and we would come out and there'd be food in our car, you know, bags of food in our car, you know, and it's just, 
that happened many times. It happened, you know, we uh, we're, we were supposed to go on a mission trip one time. Uh, we took we went with the uh, the youth group from uh, Abundant Life. Uh, God led us to go on a, on a mission trip. Somebody paid our way, you know. So it just it was it, you know we were supposed to go. I still remember it was right after the uh, Gulf War began, the first Gulf War, and I was sitting up the night before watching the Gulf War. Um, the, the, all the footage, you know, where you saw all the planes and the bombs being dropped and they were talking about it, just enthralled by it. And we ate the last bit of food in the house, literally the last bit of food. Uh, it was it was saltine crackers and hot dogs is what we had left in the house. And we, we just ate the last bit of food, but we knew we were leaving the next morning and we were going to be, you know, all of our meals were provided. And so we went and did our part and and we were chaperones and did all the you know, work we were supposed to do, and we ate fine going there. But we came home knowing we would have nothing. We got home late at night, and we just kind of looked at each other and said, okay, God's going to supply. And Lord, we just we just believe you're going to take care of us. That was a Saturday night. The next day was Sunday morning. We went to church, um, uh, and at church that day, somebody says, oh, we want to hear about your trip. Can we take you out for lunch? And we were like, hmm, sure, <laughs> that'd be wonderful. That's on us, it's on us, you know. And so they took us out for lunch and we ate. And then we're thinking, okay, that was neat, you know, that's good. And, and then uh, we get home and there's no food in the house and no money to buy any food. We didn't, have, we didn't get paid till the next Friday. And so we're like, okay, you know. Uh, and that, that afternoon somebody called up and said, hey, we just want to hear so much about you. Can we take you out for supper? And that happened for a whole week, just meal after meal everything you know god miraculously provided that whole week and then somebody brought brought groceries and i mean it was just neat i mean it's just you know it's it's god taking care of his people um when you're you know when, when you've listened to him and you've done what you're supposed to do you know and and uh i, I should say i've also had god take care of me when i actually didn't do everything i was supposed to do but he loves us anyway so you know i mean he's he is a good god and he will supply for us here is a, a miraculous expression of it, um, but he'll do the he'll do the miraculous too. All right, but then here's an interesting verse. Verse seven is always it's one of those verses I and I, I underlined it in my notes because I was just like, okay, this is you know this is also the way God works. Verse seven. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So this thing that God had been had provided for them also put provided, and you know you start to see the the stream getting lower and lower and lower, and pretty soon there's not enough provision. You can you know you can start to think, okay, did I do something wrong? You know, you can turn to your mate and say, are you in sin? You know, it couldn't be me, obviously. So, you know, it must be her or, you know, somebody else. But there are times when the provision dries up. And even in the midst of those times, God has a plan. Um, you know, and I've, I've seen that over and above. Oh, you know, many, many times I've seen provision where, where we, you know, you, I thought, okay, this is the way God's going to provide in this situation. And it has dried up, and it's quit providing. You think, oh no, now what am I going to do? And but God always has another plan. Um, and, I, and I don't remember all the details now. I mean, you know, after a while, time and you know, I, sh I, I should have journaled all, all my life because I, you know, I'd be able to remember more of these stories. You could have written a book. I could have written a book. Don't even start with me. Uh, but. Um, there was a situation where um, the, the we, how do I how do I explain it? I got a phone call from Deb one day, and she said, "John, there's a problem." I said, "Well, what's the problem?" She goes, "I just got a call, or I just got a bill from XL Energy," and I said, "Yeah," and, she, and I'm thinking, "Okay, well, you know, from here from, for the church," and I said, "Okay, well, you know, what's the problem?" And she says, "Well, I just went through my records, and we haven't got it. Have not received a bill from them for over eighteen months, a year and a half." Oh she goes, "They just never. They have not sent us a bill for eighteen months." 
And I said, okay, how much was the bill for? And she said, well, it was only this amount. It was just for a month's worth of energy. Uh, it was for, for uh, natural gas. I said, okay. I said, okay, you need to call XL and figure out what's the deal here. Because if there's if there is back payments due, we need to start working on that now. And she said, but John, that's, that's the problem. You know, I looked at it and realized that we have not been, they have not been building us for a year and a half, but praise God they haven't because we wouldn't have the money here. I mean, the church at that time was going through a real rough time financially. And she says, we, we wouldn't have had enough to pay that bill. And she goes, I, I've been wondering how we're making it week to week. Well, because they're not sending us a bill, we you know month to month we haven't we haven't needed to pay it. So it's God's you know we we've, we've kind of got through. But now what do we do? This bill is going to be X number of dollars a month. So my biggest concern was what if there's any back money owed? And so I said, Deb, you got to call them, ask them what the deal is, what we're supposed to do. And so Deb called, and the lady, very nice lady, she says, Hi, can I help you? And Deb said, Well, here's the deal. We just received a bill from you for natural gas. And the lady goes, oh yeah, yeah, we have that. I can see it right on my records here. And she goes, the thing is, on my, according to my records, we have not received a bill from you for 18 months. And the lady looks and goes, you're right. We have not billed you for 18 months. And Deb goes, so we just want to make sure we're, that we want to you know, make this right, whatever the situation is. And the lady looks at it and she goes, well, have you turned off the gas for 18 months? And we said, no, I have not turned off the gas. And she goes, because we have no record that you used any gas for the last 18 months. Well, we did. <laughs> I'm telling you, we did. You know, there was, you know, we had the furnaces running, we had the gas stoves running. And, and the lady goes, well, I'm, all I can tell you is we have no record that you owe us anything for the last 18 months. And Deb goes, let me get this right. Just let me hear you say it again. And the lady kind of chuckles. Deb goes, you're telling us that we don't owe you anything for the last 18 months. And the lady says, nope, according to my records, you owe us nothing. Have a nice day. And we're like, glory to God. She said, did you turn the gas off? Have you been doing construction? at the?" And I said, no. You know, and Deb said, no, we haven't been doing any construction. We haven't done this or that or anything else. And the lady goes, well, have a good day. You know, this, that's according to our records, we're even, so don't have a problem with it. So for 18 months, God stopped the gas payment. We used gas, but never paid for it. Now we had a new problem. Holy gas. Holy gas. <laughs> <laughs> now we have a new... Well, this is not recording, isn't it? Now, now we have a new problem because now we have to pay, start paying monthly payments. Which, you know, how are we going to do this? And right, right when that happened, the Lord reminded me of this verse. And so I went back and reread it. And it says that, you know, the, the river that had been supplying him water, uh, sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. And then verse 8 and beyond, Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath, uh, in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and... and called and... Oh, he, then he called, Bring me and bring me, please, a piece of bread. So... Even though that provision dried up, God had another plan. And, and, and so as I read through that, I remembered that verse, and so I went to that and, and read, and it says, you know, that God says, I have another way to provide for you. And so I told Deb, I said, here's the, here's the deal, Deb. I don't know how God's going to do it, but he's, there, he, we're going to be provided for. He took care of us for the last 18 months. He got us through that, that stretch of time. He's going to provide for us. He is a good God. I don't, you know, we, I don't know how he's going to do it, what he's going to do, and we've never missed a payment since. So it's, you know, it, it, and good things are happening. I mean, good, 
good things financially are happening at the church. So it's just God will provide. And we have to believe him in the midst of it. We have to we have to trust him in the midst of whatever we're going through. You know, a lot of people think, well, if I'm going through a rough time, then there must be something wrong. Either God has forgotten about me or I'm in sin and he won't bless me or whatever. No, there are times when you go through tight times and you're right in the middle of God's will. You know, it is not an indication of of blessing or lack of blessing. You know, God can God can take care of you no matter where you are. And if it's tight, then it's tight. And I and I could tell you all kinds of stories of people who are who have and are currently going through financially tight times and God is supplying their needs. God is meeting their needs. Because you say, how did did this happen? Or they'll come to me and say, you know, i got to tell you this testimony. This has happened, this has happened, and I didn't have anything, but God is meeting my needs. How does that work? I said, if I knew that, <laughs> you know, we, we, we would, then I would write a book. I get a TV show. I have a TV show. <laughs> it would take care of it. But it's like, God will supply. And he does it no matter what the situation, whether it's lean or whether it's, you know, uh, overabundant. Verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives... Interesting how she says that. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that he, that we may eat it and die. Pretty glum, gloomy report. We have one handful of meal left. We'll make one small biscuit. We're going to eat that and then we're going to die. Um, couldn't get much worse than that. The thing is, she's a few minutes from an amazing miracle that just that goes on for a long period of time, years actually, at least a year, if not a couple of years. Okay. Elijah said to her, "Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have, what you have, and bring it to me." And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sorry. Get rid of the sound. So, she does what he asked her to do. God miraculously provides for her, and continues to provide for her all the way through the drought. Two things that I see in this that that are like, you know, I mean, the the story is amazing. The the story in and of itself is like, wow, that that is just over the top. But there's two things that I look at that and I go, hmm, that's interesting. The first is this one in verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. When he gets there and he says, Bring me a little water, the way that says it at first, God had already spoken to her and said, A guy's going to be coming to you. I want you to feed him and give him food and water. Now, when he asks for water, it's a drought, so there, there is a lack of water, she immediately goes and starts to get it. But when he asks for the food, it's like, hmm. Now, she didn't say, well, the Lord did tell me you're coming. But he said, it says here, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So that indicates that God spoke to her ahead of time. And she was, by faith, supposed to do this. 
that he expected, that God gave, it was, it was a test. It was, you know, what would have happened had she not made the bread for Elijah? She would have ate the last cake and and died. <laughs> that that would have been the end. It it was definitely, you know, God spoke to her ahead of time and said, here's the deal. I want you to do this. Now, did he tell her that he was going to miraculously provide for her? Maybe not. Probably not. Because she's saying here, you know, this is all I got. You know, I'll do it. And she did do it. You know, it didn't say like she, it didn't say that she argued a long time with him or anything like that. You know, she just wanted to just, just so you know, <laughs> this is all I have. You know, made, made it perfectly clear. He, he did tell her, it says, you know, in the verse, uh, you know, make something for yourself and your son after you make mine. But this is what the Lord says, uh, you know, it's not going to be used up to the drought. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he does tell her that. But, you right. Know, well, you got to go somebody tells you that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's in the it's in the jar, and you know how much oil there is left, you know? So, so that's the first thing. I just, you know, it's like he tells Elijah that he, he's already told her to, to, to supply for him, but he still has he has to still be obedient to go, and then she has to be obedient to provide for him, because if he hadn't gone, what would have happened? If he had said, "I'm not going to Zarephath," I mean, I don't have a map. I, I didn't look it up. Where you know where is Zarephath in this in the region of Sidon? compared to where he was. I don't know. It sounds like a trip. But, you know, God tells you, go to uh, Beldenville in the region of Wisconsin, and there a widow is going to supply your food for the next uh, number of years. Right. But if he hadn't gone, then he wouldn't, you know, this wouldn't have worked. And he would have died. And she would have probably died and her son. But he did go. So so his his part of the equation was fulfilled. But then in getting there, she had to do her part of the equation. If she hadn't made the cake and given it to him and, and given him the water, um, you're right, he, 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 she would have died and her son would have died. Would God have still supplied for Elijah? Probably, just had to do it a different way, because God's God's word was true to him. He did his part, um, you know, and God's going to meet his needs, and he'll find somebody else to bless. But but she did do it, and the and you know the miracle of the flour not being used up and the and the oil not running dry um, did happen. Which brings me to the other hmm thing that uh, is in this verse. It says that the oil will not run dry, the, the flour will not be used up, and the, the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. Anything about that seem odd to you or, or seem interesting? You read it again. Well, I'm just thinking that the it may start raining, but it's still going to take a whole season for crops to grow, and it's going to stop. The day it rains. Yeah, still got a period to. You need more miracles. Yeah, and and that is that that, that hit me. Too, it's hit me too for a year for a long time. Is that it says the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain. Well, even if they get rain, then they have to plant the crops. And they have to, the crops have to grow, and the crops have to be harvested, and then there will, you know, and, and at that point, it's not going to be tons of extra food. Maybe, maybe there is. Maybe, maybe there'll be a bumper crop that year. I don't know. But there's still a period of time where she's going to have to believe. And what do you do at that time? And that's, you know. And being a widow. She wouldn't have anyone to provide for her either. She'd have to go out and glean in the fields after they're reaping. Mm-hmm. And if she's able to get her hands on some seed, she'd have to find a place to plant on her own. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, um, that, that was a lot of a widow. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, 
a thought that I've had about this is that God will supply miraculously. And especially in a case like this where, okay, you have no other options. These are your only options. And the only option is a miracle. But even after supplying your needs for a, long, for a period of time, miraculously, there will still be another opportunity to have to believe. You know, did she have to believe every morning when she made the new cake of, of bread or the new, you know, got, you know, dug the flour out and, and got more oil? Every day did she have to believe for that or did it just happen? I don't, I, I, I would have to guess it just happened. And the Ravens were actually doing a better job. They brought meat. To <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then it stops. Now you have to believe for a period of time for God to supply another way. Did he supply for her? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have to believe that he did. I mean, I, mean, I have to believe that that, that is... That God, but then it had it came from a different source, or it came a different way. Now, real life, will God supply all of your needs? If if worse came to worse right now, and the economy tanked a hundred percent, everything went down, and there was nothing tangible, no real way. For, for there to be a provision of food for you and your family, would God provide for you? Mm-hmm. We came close. Mm-hmm. We did. We came close. I had been out of work for eight months. My unemployment ran out. He lost his job. We have a son that is getting married. We have a daughter that's working temps, and our youngest son is a senior in high school. Trying to feed those three kids and plan a wedding and live on his unemployment. I don't know how we made our house payments on time, but we did. Mm -hmm. And we never missed a meal, even though sometimes we just oatmeal a couple times a day. You know, Mm -hmm. but God provided. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he still does. (laughs) He still does. Mm -hmm. And we got our son married, too. <laughs> <laughs> I know, because I was there. <laughs> no, 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 that was Jason. Oh, it was Jason. I didn't, wasn't it that one. That's right, Jason is older than... Yeah, than, Jason's uh, four years older than Joe. Joe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was at Joe's. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have to believe that even if it was absolutely outside of the realm of possibility, God can still do it. And it's in the little things that we you know that we put our faith in now, we we believe God for now, <clears throat> that um, prepare us for the day where we have to believe for the big things. And if we don't apply our faith now for these little things and these little landmarks along the along the road, when we get to the big one where it has to happen, are we going to be ready? And you know, I would love to say that, you know, we will never experience or our children will never experience having to believe God at this level. But I know people. I know people right now who are having to believe God at that level. And they're not all overseas. Many of them are. But I know people right here in America that are believing God and, and they're seeing, you know, they're not opening up the same jar of flour and the same bottle of oil every day and it just never runs out, but pretty darn close. I mean, that would be cool. I'd love to see that. Just in somebody else's life. <laughs> <laughs> I know a Christian uh, person drove two weeks on an empty tank of gas mm-hmm. for two weeks before mm-hmm. he got paid. Mm-hmm. I've coasted into the gas station <laughs> across rush hour traffic, turning you know across the two lanes to get into the gas station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, but when are we going to believe that? You know, when when are we going to start putting our our hope and faith in Him in those and letting Him build that faith so that it's strong enough for that moment? You know, 
Elijah believed him at the river. He believed him, you know, and he, he probably believed him before that. Um, you know, you the story of David and Goliath. David says, "I know God will help me defeat this this giant because I fought the lion and I fought the bear. I know I can fight this giant." The same thing needs to happen in our life. We have to fight the the, the you know the at the time it was a big scary battle. But when you look at it as a as a nine foot tall giant who's uh, you know heavily armored, you know apparently a bear isn't all that tough compared to <laughs> compared to a nine foot tall giant or or a lion, you know. Um, but it's 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 believing him in those moments where you know okay here's my only hope I don't have any other opportunity, um, and I I, w- I would love to say that that'll never happen again. You know in America. Where we will have to believe to that level, but you know what? In Greece, of all places, you know, civilized nation, Greece. There's news articles today. They're going through garbage cans looking for their next meal. I mean, and this is citywide, nationwide. There's no money. Spain, Spain is. They were they're downgrading Spain. I heard it was either today or tomorrow. They're going to downgrade it to one level above junk. Their their economy. I mean, these are these are nations in our world today that are that are you know financially falling apart. And it's you know it, this is not necessarily part of the class, but you know it is. It's going to be part of the class. Is that you know I've been. I've been praying for a long time how to talk about these things with the congregation, not wanting to sound alarmist or or doom and gloom or any of these things, but I believe the church needs to be aware of these things that, you know, are if there was no other way for God to take care of us, will he take care of us? If there's no other way, if there's if if financially uh, our economy crashes, if 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 they start rationing Medicare or, or medical, uh, you know, I have friends who live in in Europe where you have a medical condition, you go and they put you on a waiting list, nine months, eleven months, twelve months, and. They literally have to believe by faith they're going to live, that they're going to make it till, you know, and and there are they and they do it. They, you know, God sustains them, God carries them through. But it's you know it isn't like here where oh I don't feel good I'm going to go down to the doctor right away. So you know we have to believe by faith. The the gypsies, the gypsies don't get to go to the doctor. There's there's no medical coverage for them, and if they don't have the money in hand. The doctor won't let him in the front door. They have to believe that God is going to take, take care of them and heal them and provide for them, and they walk it out. And they, you know, they're they're amazing people. So it's stories like this that we need to really we, we need to say, okay, God, can you do this for me, or will you do this for me? But what I also like is that the Bible always doesn't always show just the, oh, isn't this amazing miracle cool? But it also shows the other side, and when people go through, you know, the opportunity to doubt, which is the next thing that happens here. Verse 17, Sometimes later, Sometime later the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. That's bad. That would be worse and worse. She said to Elijah, the woman, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So, God had miraculously provided for. The oil didn't dry up. The, the flour didn't. The jar of flour did not end. God moved powerfully, miraculously in their lives. And then her son dies. I mean... At that point, how many people would say, you know what, God's mad at God. How many would say, I hate God. God, you failed me. God, you, you, you didn't, you know, you didn't, 
you weren't there when I needed you the most. Yeah, okay, well, you supplied miraculously, but now he's dead. Um, I would say most would. Most would say, you know what? This doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why would God save them miraculously for a period of time and then allow the son to die? But God's not done. Verse 19. Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down to, from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, Look, your son is alive. And then verse 24 is a cool verse. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is true. She didn't know that from the miracle of the <laughs> of the bread and the oil, <clears throat> but that's human. I love it. I, I love that that those kind, those parts of the story are in there because that is human. I mean, yeah, okay, supply. I could probably you know maybe you know who knows, but somehow the flower just kept regenerating you know, on its own. I mean, it may have been God, it may not have been. You know, I don't know. It must have been more full than I thought it was. I mean, you can make up all kinds of excuses. But when, you're, when your son is dead and he comes back to life again, okay, now I believe it. chapter 18. Now we start getting to some real down and dirty realistic stuff. 18 verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Today, they would actually have hidden them in buses, buried under the ground, but that's a whole other story. Sorry, that's just a... Never mind, I'll move right along. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied, go tell your master, Elijah is here. Hilarious, I and mean, it's hilarious to me, this dialogue that's, that's about to happen between Obadiah and Elijah, because it's just this, it's, it would be a, a comedy routine, you know, in, in, in today, at least it is to me anyway, but I have a strange sense of humor. What have I done wrong, said Obadiah, that you are handle, handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear that they, they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the Spirit of the Lord may carry you next. 
or may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah is like, oh, sure. I'm going to go say, Elijah's over here, and then you're going to disappear. Because apparently God was, was, would pick him up and move him from one place to another, translating him, moving him uh, miraculously from one place to another. <clears throat> and Elijah goes, no, I promise, if you go tell him, I'll show up. Because the king was in no mood to be, uh, to be messed around. He didn't like Elijah to begin with, but he also um, he also wanted to be done with this with the famine because the famine was was destroying the kingdom, destroying the people, and so. Um, but and Elijah knew, you know, had said the Lord is going to send or the Lord is sending me to go see him. So he says, "I surely I will surely present myself to Ahab today." So we get to verse sixteen. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. And that's the case. In, in Ahab's eyes, Elijah was the trouble. You're the one who stopped the rain. You're the one who made the decree and you're the one he had you know is he was blinded to the fact that his family was the one that was causing the sin if his family if he was if he had been godly the land would have been blessed but no he was he was building asherah poles he was he was building altars to baal he was sacrificing on them and the whole thing and that was why the why the rain stopped not be just because elijah said so <clears throat> You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. During a famine. Yeah. Exactly. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Prophets, Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what, is, what you say is good. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls, prepare it first, since, you are so, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. I love this part, too. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy or traveling. Now, 
was hilarious. Have you ever heard the original uh, translation of this? This is not the actual original translation of this verse. The original translation was thought too risque to actually write down. And so what they wrote was, perhaps he is in deep thought or busy or traveling. That phrase in Hebrew is actually, maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he's busy relieving himself. That is the, that's the original, the actual translation. of. So Elijah's going, maybe your God's on the toilet. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe, maybe he's busy. Shout louder. Maybe he's sleep, sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time before the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he, rep- and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the Lord had, had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two says of seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars with water, and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said. And they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered. And they did it the third time. The water ran down from the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat, and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carol or top of Carmel, bent down to his bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing. He said seven times Elijah said, Go back. The seventh time the servant reported, A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, Go and tell Ahab, Hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak in his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So, God, by his power, miraculously defeats all of the prophets of Baal, Asherah, the, the Ahab, his wife, miraculously does exactly what he says he'll do, and then returns the, uh, or gets, you know, stops the, the uh, drought and provides for the people. When you stick your neck out for God, He'll meet you there. You know, I mean, 
Elijah did all of that without seeing a drop of water. He did all of that without seeing a, a, a flicker of flame. He did all of that ahead of time, going, okay. And he, you know, God had told him what to do. He stuck his neck out. He said, okay, here we go. I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. And it's, you know, we're going to see God move. We're going to see God move. And he still does that stuff today. He will still do that. Will he still call down fire? Well, if he says he will, he will. Um, I haven't seen fire being called down. But, you know, I have seen God move in miraculous ways. This, this clothing drive, you know, to raise this, you know. They figure now there's going to be 20,000 pieces of clothing by the time we're done boxing it up. There's over 13 churches involved. And today, we just got another bad report. I called the uh, I called the shipping company and I said, "Okay, I've done everything you've asked us to do. Now, what do we need to do? And just tell me everything I need to have. You tell. Oh, well, you know, you have to have this. Yep, you've told me about. It. I, well, I've told you you need to have this. Yep, I know you. Oh, I forgot. I need to have a an affidavit that proves that all of the pieces of clothing have been laundered and sanitized by a, a laundry company." Oops. And I said, okay. Sounds good. And hung up the phone and went, oh, God. Oh, oh God. I love you, Oh, God. So, I still don't know how it's going to happen. We're still boxing up clothing and sealing it and because I don't know how he's going to do this. Now we have people working on it, you know, but we've prayed. We're going to keep praying. Yeah. But here is an opportunity for God to, to provide. Now, what exactly? We, we were in contact with the guy who is receiving the shipping, the, the warehouse who's receiving the shipping. They've done shipments like this before. They didn't tell us this is what we had to have. So we're going to put it in his hands and say, all right, you tell us what we need to do. And we're going to do it, whatever that means. We're we're going to trust you that you're you know you've done this before. But it's one of those situations where you just go, okay, this is a lot of my hands. Out of my hands, there's nothing we can do. I mean, nothing I can do about it. I, I, okay, God, we need a miracle, whatever that means. I, I don't know how you're going to do it. You know, I don't know that that Elijah knew how to what was going to happen. The day before it happened, you know, he just God told him to go go meet Ahab. All right, I'll go meet Ahab, and I believe God started speaking to him. Okay, when you get there, this is what you're going to have to do: do this, do this, do this, and he just obeyed God exactly, and God performed a miracle. Well, God's going to perform a miracle when it comes to this about whether we get a waiver, whether we get, you know. Whether our word is good enough, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know. But he's going to do it. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced God is going to provide. God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. He's done it ever ever since. He's done it every step of the way so far. Um, When we started on this whole project, the idea of even doing this seemed out of, you know, crazy. And then to... Have, have, a, have a breakthrough where somebody gives you all the clothes that we had in the first round. 80 boxes, filled 80 boxes full. I mean, that's that's a miracle. That And it didn't cost us a thing. And they somebody else shipped it down to us for free. And, you know, just all this, one thing after another, God provided, God provided, God provided. Okay, so we got that far. Now we're out of clothes. And that was a huge shipment. Now what do we do? Well, two weeks later, we're about done. We're, we're just about done as of tonight. You know, as, as of Friday, we'll be done. Bog, doing our part, boxing it up. Now we have this new thing. You know, <clears throat> seems like provision is drying up, but it's not. God has another way out of this. He has a way. He's got it covered. He knew about this from the, the day one. We were diligent to do everything we've, that, we were, that we knew to do. And so, you know what, God? It's in your hands. And, and I'm going to be able to, we're going to tell the testimony of his provision for us. 
And that's the that's the that's the attitude that we need to have walking through our lives. Whenever we run up against a situation that seems impossible, instead of going ah and freaking, we go, okay, God, you've brought me this far. You you know you've done everything up to this point. I trust that you got this under control, and that you have a way which I don't understand right now. Nobody else seems to understand. But I'm going to trust you, and I believe that you're a good God. You are good. I'm ready. I'm ready to see your hand move and move miraculously. Amen. Any other thoughts? Hmm? We're early. We're done early. <laughs> we are done early. Any other thoughts about this?